We are looking once again, um, we're almost done with our series. You know, most series you can never finish with. Um, but this is our real life, real love, real purpose uh, series, which is about the vision of our church. Uh, it's interesting, you know, you have a vision, and a vision is where you see the end, right? But then you're on a mission to fulfill your vision. And so the vision is that everyone would be able to know real life, real love, real purpose through Jesus Christ. In other words, um, in the middle of praying about this, I was over in um, Indiana, and when I was in Indiana, I saw this girl uh, at Walmart, and she was, uh, had to return something, and she had this tattoo on her arm, and it said, uh, you're not just here to take up space. And the Lord had already laid this on my heart, and I was like, man, that's a really good illustration, because whether you're born again yet or you're not, you, we can all get the wrong impression that we're just going through the motions day after day. It's just another week. You know, this is uh, fall of 2017, so it's just another fall season, but it is not just another fall season. God has a specific plan, and he has a specific purpose for your life. All of everyone here, everyone online, he has a specific purpose that he wants you to accomplish, that he has actually equipped you with what you need in order to accomplish the call of God on your life. For some people like me, that may be in what we call full-time ministry, but really every person on the face of the earth, the will of God is that everyone would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and then he has a mission for you, and he has a plan for you that only you are uniquely fitted to fulfill. And so there's some people that I am going to reach that you're not going to reach, but there's a whole lot of people that you're going to reach that I would never be able to reach. And so in praying about this uh, series, uh, well, to be honest with you, uh, what really happened was I... Um, I felt led of the Lord to spend some extended times in prayer. And um, as I was doing that, uh, man, I got over into the presence of God, and I began to see things a lot differently. And, uh, you know, I've always uh, kind of been what people would probably term a prayer. And uh, I would experience uh, different, of course, wonderful prayer times. But in, in this particular instance, uh, it was like, man, the presence of God came to live, to abide, to stay and um, so really since the spring, I've been uh, living that whole new lifestyle. And in the middle of that, uh, I really kind of got over in the realm of the Spirit so much that I'm like, this is like, I still don't have good English words for it. This is like full life. This is abundant life was the, you know, Jesus said that, the thief, uh, excuse me, John 10, 10, the thief or the devil has not come, but for what? To steal and to kill and to destroy but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it, that life, more abundantly. In other words, he didn't come so we could simply take up space and breathe air. But he came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. Now, the Greek word for life in John 10.10 10 is the Greek word zoe. And so uh, if you've been... Uh, around the Word of God or uh, churches that preach the Word of God for any length of time, um, it's really helped me sometimes to just take and exchange the English word for the Greek word because I hear it in a new way. 
And uh, anything that you're too familiar with, you actually don't receive from. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 2 says uh, that you have to actually pay closer attention to the things that you've already heard, lest at any time you let them slip, uh, King James says. But the margin of my King James Bible actually says, leak out like water out of a leaky vessel. And so I actually have right now a little leak in my tractor, and so uh, it, it, it leaks out. Some diesel leaks out, and I, and I got to fix it because <laughs> uh, I was gone. I came back. I'm like, wow, that's really kind of leaking. Uh, in other words, if I just left it, eventually that would go empty. So if you have water in a vessel and you let it leak out, it'll eventually just drain out so that you don't have anything left. And so you have to pay extra attention to the things that you've already heard. And so what I have to do is I, I mentally and from my spirit, I just say, okay, I am going to get something out of this. I'm going to hear this like I never have heard it before. And um, when you approach God that way and you're hungry, he will not let you down. He will always give you a word that you need. And so here today, I know that we're going to hear a word uh, not from me or of me. Uh, I'll be the one speaking but we're going to hear a word from God himself, and he has something specific for every single life. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that your word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, that your word is the only thing that can divide our soul and our spirit, Father, that we can walk in newness of life, that we can walk in the real life that you have given unto us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And as I said, the Greek word for life there is zoe, and that really means the life and nature of God or life the way God has life. Well, how do you think God has life? What kind of life does he have? One of the epistles actually says, as he is, so are we in this world. Well, do you think uh, that Jesus is up there sick? Uh, do you think he's up there lacking? Do you think he's uh, depressed and having a bad day today like he woke up on the wrong side of the bed? No, he has real life. And so we're going to talk today, uh, part two uh, from last week, we started on real love. And so we're going to talk about the love of God and living in the love of God. Now, sometimes, uh, you know, you think of the love of God and you think like, okay, I'm not most excited about that message. It's not like a running, shouting, dancing, you know, get down message. But really, it's one of the most important messages that we could ever receive because it will affect every area of your life. And, uh, you know, we had the privilege of traveling with Kenneth e. Hagan for the last couple years he was here on the earth. And uh, if there's one thing that people said about him, uh, it was that he walked in love. Yeah, he was a preacher of faith, but love uh, was probably the most amazing part of his being his characteristic. And I can remember talking with him different times. Didn't get to have a lot of conversations with him, but just talking with him and seeing the love in his eyes and on his voice and the way, uh, you know, he's just a, an amazing individual. And one of the things that really stood out about him was his love. In fact, one of his last messages he preached at his last camp meeting, uh, one of the nights was on the subject of love, which you can watch on YouTube online. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to pick up uh, where we left off. If you remember last week, uh, I only got um, basically uh, to the first verse. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 4 through 8 in the New King James Version. 
Again, I apologize because I don't have a graphics person back there today, so uh, I'll try to read slower. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. And that's kind of where we started last week was with uh, verse 8. Love never fails. And so uh, at some point, if you don't right now, you're going to have issues in your relationships. And uh, the answer for those is the love of God. I talked about the Greek words. That's the Greek word agape. All right, we have uh, basically three Greek words that we see are translated love in the New Testament. One is eros, which is like a romantic or a sexual love. One is phileo, which is a family type of love. And then one is agape. Now, the big difference between agape and the rest of uh, the other two types of love is agape has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with you. In other words, agape is not self-centered, because even if I have a family type of love, I can be self-centered in my family type of love. In other words, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my mother, you're my father, and phileo also includes friendship, so you're my friend, and so I like you because how you make me feel. And of course, uh, uh, Eros type of love, or romantic love, or sexual love can of course be exactly the same way. But agape love, by definition, is not that way. And so, my current favorite translation of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 is uh, the Weist translation, W-U-E-S-T. And um, at the beginning in verse 1, he starts out like this. He says, in the, If in the languages of men I speak, and in the languages of angels, but do not have love, and I want you to listen to this part here. He says, The Greek word used here of God's love produced in the heart of the yielded saint by the Holy Spirit. Now, Romans 5.5 tells us that the love of God has been shed abroad or in abundance. It's been put in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So if you're born again, you actually have the love of God on the inside of you. And this is his nature. God has a love nature. Um, So it's produced in the heart of the yielded saint by the Spirit. I love how he says that because what does that mean? Well, one of the greatest aspects of your life, one of the most amazing things is that you have a choice. You have what we would call our term willpower. In other words, it is the will of God that all mankind come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but all won't because everyone has to make their own choice. And he's a loving God, and I don't want to get into the particulars of all of the why of that for this message because I'll go too far the other way. But... He will not force you to accept his will for your life, which is that you receive Jesus Christ and have his kind of life. So you can live his kind of life, so you can think his kind of thoughts. And so even with his love, you have to yield to the love that is inside of you. And where we get messed up so many times is um, we think, well, I don't feel like I love them. That's because we're used to responding to a romantic love or a friendship love. And so... um, I believe I maybe started on the story last week of uh, Dad Hagen was teaching a um, message, uh, and he said, if 
you don't love your mother-in-law, you're not born again and you're on your way to hell. And there was, the problem was there was a pastor's wife uh, in the service and she didn't love her mother-in-law, she thought. And so he said, well, she came up afterwards. She's like, you've really messed me up. What am I going to do? And he said, well, he said, if you don't love your mother-in-law, then you're not born again. If you know, because she actually said, I hate my mother-in-law. And the Bible says hate is just like murder. And, you know, murderers don't have any place in heaven. And uh, so uh, he kind of like kept egging her on, egging her on. So she could be like, well, then what am I going to do? I've been to Bible school and I don't know all that stuff. And he's like, no, he said, the reality is you actually do love your mother-in-law. You're just not acting like it. In other words, she was born again, so the love of God was poured into her heart, just like it's poured into my heart and your heart when you're born again. You have the very love of God, the nature of God, which is love, and then shows up in a lot of other ways. Love shows up in many ways, but you actually have the love of God. But our vision is real life, real love, real purpose, but we're on a mission, and the mission is faith. And being led by the Spirit. In other words, you can't access the nature of God in a way that you experience it every day except by faith. You can't experience the life of God in a way that you have the power of God showing up in your life except by faith. Even though you have it legally, it's been bought, it's been paid for, but it doesn't show up or what you know we would term manifest. In other words, you don't see it in your life whether in healing of your body or freedom of your mind, until you act in faith, until you believe it. One, one of the simplest definitions for faith is simply acting like the Bible's true. In other words, you act like the Bible's true because you what? Believe that it is true. And uh, in our faith series, I can't get away from it because it's changed my life so much, but you know, I talked about one of the parts of faith is believing. And when you believe, by definition, uh, if this is self-will, like this direction is self-will and this direction is Christ, then if you have self-will, then you're trying to hold on what you can accomplish or what the world system can bring you. Because there is a world system that is set up, and that is where Satan is the god of this world system. And so if we're going to rely on what the world system can do, you can't hold on to the world system or your own self-will. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to get out of it myself. I'm going to, you know, men in particular can be really bad about this. Uh, I can say that because I'm a man. Okay. So like, uh, you need help with that? No, I got it. I got it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Well, if you're not real careful, that mentality will slip over into your walk with God. And we say, no, no, I do whatever the Lord wants. Um, You should ask the Lord if you do whatever he wants. Let him be the judge of that, okay? So what you have to do, though, is that as as an act of your will, you release all self-will and release holding on to the world system and you grab hold of Jesus Christ. So you can't be doing both at the same time. You're releasing this and grabbing hold of this. And as soon as you grab hold of Jesus, then you can have what Jesus has. And so you may have done that in your life to accept Jesus Christ, you know, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So you may have done that. But the interesting thing about uh, when I was studying the definition of the word faith was that it was not a one-time event, right? So when you release that and you grab hold of Jesus, you are born again. You're made a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. But in order to benefit from everything that you get in Christ, you have to continually choose 
I'm not doing it my way, I'm doing it God's way. You release your self-will and you do what he wants. We have to renew our mind with the word of God when we're born again so we can actually experience uh, what God has promised so we think different because the way you think will become the way that you speak. And when you speak, you'll go that direction. We learn that in James chapter one, that the tongue is a tiny member, a tiny part of your body, but it will drive the whole course of your life just like a ship's rudder is so small compared to the ship. But that person running that rudder, whether it's a little ship or a big ship, where they have a, a big, uh, I don't know if they call it a steering wheel, but anyhow, the big thing. And uh, they'll turn that little rudder, and that massive ship will turn in response to that rudder. Just like a horse will turn in response to the bit that's in its mouth. This is what James is talking about. And so our tongue actually directs the whole course of our life. So if our tongue is hooked up with our mind that is not renewed or transformed by the word of God, then our tongue will push us in the wrong direction. But if we can renew our mind and we get our tongue hooked up with what God said, in other words, you start to think God's thoughts after him. So I can sit here or stand here and think my thoughts. And I think, oh, oh, and I might think, oh, that's a pretty good thought. But the second that I think a thought of God, you, you almost go silent because you're like, whoa, that's a little different. And in order to get God's results, you have to do it God's way. And so in faith, we grab hold of what God has promised. So we're talking about walking in love and experiencing the love of God. In order to do that, we have to believe what the Bible says, that we have the love of God on the inside of us and then respond to that love. So back to the lady. So, um, you know, he said, she's like, what am I going to do? And he said, well, act like you do love your mother-in-law because you really do. And um, so she said, she decided, okay, I'm going to make my mother-in-law uh, dinner. And so she made her dinner and she told her that she loved her. And she said, you know, I really do love my mother-in-law because that part of her, the inside, her spirit uh, man started to respond to the love that was there. And um, my wife told me I needed to uh, finish after last week because I had mentioned last week that that lady's son had epilepsy. And so he would go into these seizures all the time. And so uh, in being ministered to, she was told, you just say, Satan, take your hands off my child. I'm walking in love. Because love fulfills all of the commandments. Even in the Old Covenant, it says, if you walk in my commandments and fulfill all I've said, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you and the number of your days I will fulfill. Well, probably the biggest key to walking in health in your body when you're a born-again believer is to walk in love. Why? Because that one act fulfills all the commandments. Love fulfills all of the commandments. And so um, I remember hearing Brother Hagin say so many times, uh, if I was having trouble in my body, this would be the first place I'd look. And I remember looking, and I thought, well, yeah, I'm, I'm walking in love. Um, but I judged myself after myself. And then I found, like, if you're like, Lord, am I walking in love? Man, it's real easy for him to point out some stuff where you think you're walking in love, but maybe you're not the way, the way that you think you are. So um, we says, God's love produced in the heart of the yielded saint by the Holy Spirit, a love that impels one to deny himself for the sake of the loved one. All right, so I, wanna, I want you to keep that last 
uh, phrase in your mind as we read verses four through eight, the part where it says, one uh, impels one to deny himself for the sake of the loved one. And then he says, love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others. Remember, it impels or drives you to deny yourself for the sake of the loved one. So love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others. I love that word meekness because I looked it up not too long ago, and uh, it really means you have all of the power to do something, but you choose for the sake of someone else to hold it back. And so love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others. What does that mean? Well, that means... um, (laughs) <laughs> my wife said, I said, I'm going to tell a story on you. And she's, she's like, uh, she said, okay, you just tell them how I walk in love so wonderfully with you. <laughs> but that means if my wife and I, she was joking, if my wife and I are uh, having a challenge or an argument and I'm going to meekly and patiently bear ill treatment from her, that means, you know, what I'm going to want to do is express my side and be like, no, you have to understand this. You have to understand this. But typically in an argument, she's in the same stance as I am. And so we're both kind of like, you know, you're coming at each other like this, right? You ever, nobody ever been in an argument but me? Okay. And so you're both maybe like, uh, I'm not a fighter like that, but you, you may be like, you know, you, you have to understand my point. I want you to understand my point first, and then I'll listen to your point. Oh, well, that doesn't fit on denying myself for the sake of the other one. That's like, as soon as you listen to me, then I'll listen to you. And the problem is, that's not just in marriage. That can be at work. That can be with uh, brothers and sisters uh, or friends. And um, in that stance, nobody's receiving anything except for you're putting up this wall. In other words, um, as an act of your will, you're hardening yourself. And you're like, okay, and why do we do that? Well, a lot of times we do that because... Um, we don't always walk in the God kind of love. In other words, I don't 100% walk in the God kind of love with my wife. I endeavor to, but I don't do it 100% of the time. What does that mean? Well, sometimes uh, the Bible says that you bite and devour one another, and these things shouldn't be. It says life and death are in the power of the tongue. It says there is he that speaketh like a sword, like the piercings of a sword. So sometimes someone may have spoke to you or spoke to me, and it pierced like a sword. And so the next time that I have a a confrontation with them, um, I don't want to let my guard down. Why? Because it hurt. Because it affected me. Now, God will never do that to you. God's love is perfect. And uh, in the context of marriage, if I have to uh, discuss something difficult with my wife, either as a result of something I have done or something she has done, I always ask the Spirit of God to prepare my wife and help my wife and help me. In other words, there's some things, um, uh, you know, as you go through marriage, we've been married for 15 years, so as you go through marriage, there's different seasons, I think, and um, you know, we're in a pretty good season right now, but there's been different times where I'm like, Lord, I really want to talk to her about this. But every time I try to talk to her about it, it feels like there's this tensing up. And I don't want the tensing up, and I'm trying not to have the tensing up. And I'm kind of like, okay, I'm, you know, and so I'll try to say stuff like as, as uh, gently as possible. But still, sometimes you got to, you know, it's like you're trying to break through this. And so I'll, I'll ask the Holy Spirit. I'll say, 
speak to my wife, have her bring this up in such a way because I don't, I feel, and then sometimes as a guy, I don't know if it's just a guy or not, but sometimes I'll say something and I'm like, whoo, that's not what I meant to say. That did not come out the way I wanted it to come out. And then you feel like you're, you're kind of digging a hole. Love denies himself for the sake of the loved one. In other words, the love of God has nothing about itself. And so first of all, you have to understand this is how God looks at you and how God thinks about you. In other words, he gave up his one and only son for you and for me, not, not for himself, but for us. The only way that we can love with the God kind of love is if we first, first receive in our hearts the God kind of love which is poured into our hearts, but you can have the love of God and not yield to it, not accept it, even for your own benefit. Does that make sense? The only reason we love is because he first loved us. Nothing is really of ourselves. Uh, Everything that we have, we have received. So love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others. Love is kind, gentle, benign, pervading and penetrating the whole nature, mellowing all which would have been harsh and austere is not envious, I'll just read the whole thing through real quick, does not brag, nor does it show itself off, is not ostentatious, that means putting itself out in front, saying, hey, look at me, look at me, does not have an inflated ego, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek after the things which are its own, is not irritated, provoked, I read this lower because more people can relate to this, is not irritated, provoked, exasperated, aroused to anger, does not take into account the evil which it suffers, does not rejoice at the iniquity, but rejoices with the truth, endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things, bears up under all things, not losing heart or courage. Love never fails. Well, if you're listening closely while I read those, you would realize that you have to have And I have to have the Spirit of God in order to be able to love that way. Because that that does not come from your flesh. That does not come from something that you can produce or that I can produce. That can only come from God. That kind of love is only from God. And uh, I want to read that uh, same passage in Jack Hayford's uh, translation. Love suffers long, having patience with imperfect people. Sometimes that is yourself. Right? If you have a tendency to be a perfectionist and want things all right, um, you can have patience with other imperfect people, but sometimes you can conquer that, but then you're imperfect, so you're struggling with your imperfection, and you don't want to love yourself. Like you, you, You've maybe learned to give people the benefit of the doubt, or you think you have, uh, but you have to also give yourself uh, the benefit of the doubt. Love is kind, active in doing good. Love does not envy since it's non-possessive and non-competitive. It actually wants other people to get ahead. Hence, it does not parade itself. Love has a self-effacing quality. It is not ostentatious. Love is not puffed up, treating others arrogantly. It does not behave rudely, but displays good manners and courtesy. Love does not seek its own, insisting on its own rights or demanding precedence. Rather, it is unselfish. Love is not provoked. It is not irritable or touchy, rough or hostile, but is graceful under pressure. Right? Sometimes I have to work on love is great. Well, a lot of these. (laughs) Love is graceful under pressure. And uh, sometimes you can um, 
you say like, wow, I'm a, a great person of faith, or I really walk in love, but I really want to know if I'm going to listen to you. I want to know, have you had challenges? Like, what have you been through? Because if you've never been faced with a really difficult challenge, uh, whether it's in the health of your body or your mind or your children or your relationships, and you're, you, you say, oh, I, can, I praise God all the time. Well, anybody can praise God when everything is going well. When everything is working out and the sun comes up and it's a beautiful day and you say, oh, glory to God, it's a good day. But there is something about lifting your voice to praise the Lord in the midst of seemingly impossible circumstances. And you say, in the midst of impossible circumstances, this person is treating me bad every time I see them, no matter what I do. I mean, <laughs> there is one person um, who was, you know, not a close friend, but an acquaintance, a friend of mine, a coworker, and uh, uh, she struggled. And I knew she had lots of struggles in her personal life and her background and different things like that. But uh, so we had a little bit of a challenging relationship. And uh, she was uh, much older than me, maybe 20, 25 years, 30 years. And so uh, one day I thought, I'm just going to, I'm really, because I'd try to see her in the hallway and work on showing her love and do all this. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually take and I'm going to um, send her some flowers now, I knew enough not to send her, like, red flowers. <laughs> so I asked the florist, like, what kind of flowers should I send? So I sent flowers, and I went and I, um, uh, I just put a note or something. Hey, hope you're having a great day. You know, just thinking about you. I want to tell you I appreciate you. It was, the note was something like that. Man, she came back, and she's like, you know, why would you send the flowers? And I said, just because, you know, uh, I just want to tell you I appreciate you. And, you know, I thought, oh, you know, women like flowers, so you probably like some flowers. I know he had a different motive. Like, why'd you really do it? And honest to God, that's why I was doing it. I was like, okay, what can I do? And I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do this. I'll send this. But no matter what I did, there was some other reason I was doing it in her mind. But sometimes it's that way. And you just have to say, you know what? No matter what they say, you know, I, in those situations, I check my heart before the Lord. Okay, Lord, did I, was I trying to manipulate or do something? And, you know, even though I didn't think I was, but sometimes you do stuff you don't realize. And so I, you know, I checked my heart and my heart was fine. And I said, okay, I'm just going to believe the best and, and do all this. And maybe I won't send another thing of flowers. But sometimes no matter how hard we try, people through certain experiences or uh, whatever it may be, they may not receive the love that you're trying to show them, even though it's the love of God. And sometimes people have been hurt so deeply that they're afraid even to let God touch that part of their life. But I'm here to tell you, if you've been hurt deeply, Jesus himself is really the only one that can heal you, that can help you, that can set you free. And he will, and he loves you, and you can open yourself up to him. You might not be able to trust other people at that moment, but you can trust him. And the way you do that is you come to him, uh, you come to your heavenly father, to God himself in the name of Jesus, and you open yourself up to him. So love does not seek its own, insisting on its own right or demanding precedence. Rather, it's unselfish. It's not provoked, irritable or touchy, rough or hostile, but is graceful under pressure. Love thinks no evil. It does not keep an account of wrongs done to it. Instead, it erases resentments. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, finding satisfaction in the shortcomings of others. 
and spreading an evil report. Rather, it rejoices in the truth, aggressively advertising the good. Love bears all things, defending and holding other people up. Love believes the best about others, credits them with good intentions, and is not suspicious. Love hopes all things, never giving up on people, but affirming their future. Love endures all things, persevering and remaining loyal to the end. Now I want to read you a couple passages from this book right here. Um, It's called uh, The Greatest Thing in the World uh, by Henry Drummond. It's got a new cover now, and my wife laughs at me because this has like a a woman and a little girl in a dress on the cover of it, but, but, you know, I got my highlights, and so I like to keep my old version. But they have a more manly version now. And you can get this free online. You just look up Henry Drummond, Greatest Thing in the World. Amazing book on love. He said, if we try to influence or elevate others, we will soon see that our endeavor is successful in proportion to their belief of our belief in them. In other words, what do you believe I can do? Or what do you believe the person that you're directing your love to can do? In other words, do you see them, especially if you've had a uh, uh, conflicting relationship with them, do you see them continue to fail in the same area, mess up in the same area, do the same things? Or do you see them as successful? Do you see them as, as winning the battle? And so you'll be successful in influencing them direct, in direct proportion to how much they believe that you believe in them. You can see this in, in children uh, real readily. I have four younger children. And um, whenever, if I say, uh, uh, don't do that, you're going to mess it up, you can almost watch them like shrivel up. But if I say, oh, let me show you how to do that. You know, you could actually do that really, really good. But let me show you. Let me give you a little instruction. Then they kind of start to, oh, oh. And I'm like, oh, you're doing it. And um, it, it really changes them. But it's in per- Uh, excuse me, proportion to their belief of our belief in them. To respect a man is the first restoration of self-respect he has lost. Our ideal of what he is becomes to him the hope and the pattern of what he may become. And so particularly in a um, marriage relationship and dealing with um, your spouse or really any relationships, if you start to think about the other person and talk about the other person the way that you know them after the flesh, then they're not going to have your help or encouragement to change. Jesus said, no, you know, you've known me after the flesh up till now, but don't know any man this way any longer. You have to know who they are in Christ, what they are in Christ, and what they have. And so when you look at that situation, I know in, in my own life, if my wife is constantly wanting to correct and change and do all this stuff, and, and fortunately she's not really like that, but um, it's not as easy for me to overcome my challenges when I'm treated that way as if someone treats me like I'm already successful. When someone treats me and understands, sees the good in me. Because uh, what we tend to do is we judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our best intentions, right? So, I mean, I, I don't know, dealing with different relationships over the years, uh, you know, I've been a pa- senior pastor for just a couple years, but I was associate pastor for nine years before that, and it's amazing. Uh, people will be like, I can't believe they did that, and you know they did this because of this, and, you know, and I'm like, you really know they did that because of that? And, um, oh, yeah, 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 because they're trying to, you know, they're trying to prove this or prove that. 
and really, if you can get the two talking and you can get to the intents of people's heart, it's amazing what happens because you find out, oh, no, I didn't intend to do that. And then you also find out, I didn't feel safe talking to you. So when I was talking to you, I put up a guard. And sometimes when people put up a guard, the guard that they put up uh, is, uh, you know, just natural physiology, fight or flight. In other words, I'm not going to talk to you at all. I'm going to go the other way. Or I'm coming at you. Why? In order to protect myself because um, I was hurt by an experience or a circumstance or another person. And so the God kind of love overlooks all that you have done. Just think of how God looked at you in Christ, right? Um, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the love of God is shown in Jesus Christ pouring out his life for you and for me and then pouring his love into us, his same nature into us so that we could live the same way that he lives. And um, that's not gratifying to your flesh, but man, it does something in the real you, the core of your being in your spirit because you're like, oh. So when you choose to walk in love and you know they don't deserve it, based on what they've done, then you're doing it God's way. So when you choose to walk in love and you know they do deserve it because they've been nice to you, uh, that's not walking in the God kind of love. That's a human type of love. That's saying, well, you did for me, so I'm going to do for you. But the God kind of love says, even if you never do anything good back to me, I'm doing this for your good. I'm doing this to help you. I'm not doing this to protect myself or to help myself, but I'm doing this uh, to help you and to, um, to see you have a better life and a better experience. Oh, yeah, this is the last part I wanted to share with you. He said, what makes a man a good athlete? Practice. What makes a man a good artist, a good sculptor, a good musician? Practice. What makes a man a good linguist or a good stenographer? Practice. What makes a good man? Practice. Nothing else. There is nothing capricious uh, about religion. We do not get the soul in different ways under different laws from those in which we get the body and the mind. If a man does not exercise his arm, he develops no bicep muscles. And if a man does not exercise his soul, he acquires no muscle in his soul. In other words, he's saying you have to take the love of God that is on the inside and put it to use and put it to work. And, um, you know, uh, it's funny he said biceps because I don't have a very exercised upper body, but I jog all the time and I can jog really, really far and I I enjoy it. But my upper body is not exercised so much. And when I uh, was in the military and a firefighter took me, he wanted to uh, help me work out. Oh, man. It hurt so bad, and then I couldn't hardly work out uh, for a long time afterwards because he, like, uh, really had me do way too much weight at the moment. But when you start to exercise a muscle that you haven't in a long time, all of a sudden you're going to feel a little different, and it's maybe not going to feel that good in your body. Um, but you know that you're, you're doing the right thing. You're strengthening it. So if a man does not exercise his soul, he acquires no muscle in his soul, no strength of character, no vigor or moral fiber, no beauty of spiritual growth. And here's the part I wanted you to get. Love is not a thing of enthusiastic emotion. 
It is a rich, strong, manly, vigorous expression of the whole round Christian character, the Christ-like nature in its fullest development. In other words, it's not a wimpy thing. The love of God is not a wimpy thing. It's not for, you know, you hear love like, oh, yeah, yeah, I love, I love, I love. But this is, yes, I give up myself, I give up myself, I give up myself. And I do it for you and you and you and you and you and you and you. And I do it most of all for him. Uh, Jesus said, whatever you've done for the least of these, what have you done to them, you did it unto me. In other words, he's going to look at the end of our life when we meet him in heaven and say, like, what, what did you do for the least of these? What did you do for people? And um, we'll be judged by that. And, of course, if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you'll be born again. You'll be on your way to heaven. But it says that your works will either remain or they'll be burnt up. But you yourself will be saved. And so you're rewarded based on what you do. And what we do for the least of these, we do it as unto him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love that you have poured into our hearts. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that you would help us to let your love have its way within us and through us. Father, thank you for loving us with your kind of love, that you loved us without selfishness and without looking to yourself, but you loved us with an everlasting and an ever-caring love. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never accepted him, um, you really can't make yourself good enough to come to Christ. You can't do enough good things. When you receive Jesus Christ, you're on your way to heaven. But in order to receive him and be on your way to heaven, there's nothing that you or I could do as far as being good enough or working hard enough. The only thing that we can do to come to Christ is give up our selves and our self-will and receive Jesus Christ. It's not automatic. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know him. It is a relationship. It is a daily opportunity to find out the heart of God and to experience the love of God and the life of God. If that's you this morning and you don't know him, just slip up your hand. I'd love to pray with you and for you. You can come into the kingdom in a split second of time, and your whole nature is changed. You give up your nature, and you receive the God kind of nature and the God kind of life. If you're watching online and that's you, I'd invite you to email us at info at anchordc.org, and we'd love to pray with you, pray for you, get you some materials to help you live for the Lord help you in your walk with the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that your word is alive and that it's powerful. We thank you for your word that's been sown into our lives. We thank you for fruit from your word. We declare that we will be doers of your word, not just hearers, walking in the light of your word and walking in the love that you have poured into our hearts. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.